Down to Art, conversations about the creative process with your host, Christy Gordon. Today we'll be talking with Stephanie Sachs about how to make money as an artist, which is such an important topic because we need to make a living as artists in order to fund our creative endeavors. So welcome, Stephanie. It's so good to have you. Aloha, Christy. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited too. It says on your Instagram for Artists Make Money that you've made over a million dollars in art sales without galleries. And um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how that came to be and just a bit about your background. Yeah, uh, I have actually done it in many ways over the years. Um, when I was first starting out, I actually drew portraits on a street corner um, in Lahaina, which is unfortunately now the area that has had the big fires. But, you know, back when I was a bit younger, that's how I started to make money. And I was out there four nights a week for three hours. And I made enough money in that time to stay home all day and develop my painting style. Now I go to um, events. I go to one event in particular that I've gone to now for probably close to 20 years. And I go there every week at a very high-end hotel here. I'm very grateful to them. And uh, they've built up this program. There's over 40 artists in the program. And so every morning, the guests of the hotel get to see about four or five artists and we set up together near the breakfast where they're um they're coming to breakfast and at night there's a few artists upstairs in the lobby lounge and we get to meet with the visitors and I have collectors all over the world because of it and I have collectors that come back and also collectors that read my newsletter and are are just friends they're friends yeah, I know I had a lot of experience early on really building up my art career with the art fairs too and these kind of like public, you know, exhibitions, not necessarily at galleries, but yeah, art fairs and markets and things. And it, it gives you a real connection to people. And for me, I found that those same people, like I kept them on my email list and kept them updated. They bought my first paintings and they came back to art shows years later. Uh, and I know that's in your experience, you talk about how just to build real connections with these people, like not in a gross networking way, but in a way that you're actually building real connections. And that that's like one of the most important parts of selling the work. And I think that's such a good point. Do you want to tell us about um some of your theories around that? I do think it is um, not a fast way of creating a career, but a way of building a base that moves with you throughout every gallery that you'll ever go to and every fair that you'll ever be in. And those are the people that are going to be there each and every time you choose to change your style or create something new and experimental. Um, And that's just how it's worked for me. I just slowly built up a reservoir of good feelings because I've been 
not super consistent, but decently consistent about putting out a newsletter every month, six weeks, mostly when I have something new to say. I think that is also a key. I have to be excited about what I'm doing to actually write the newsletter and to actually get people to open it because I have over a 60% open rate. And I believe it's because the people who receive my emails know that they're going to get something in their inbox that delights them and that they find enjoyable and takes them out of the daily emails that they receive. Mm, that's very interesting. Can you give us an example of some of the content, say, in a recent email, just to kind of give us a really clear example of how you're doing that? That sounds amazing. <laughs> What's interesting right now is I, you know, decided to really work on my Instagram, my personal and the artists make money Instagram. And what it's helped me do is tell a story through the reels and to, to create kind of like that three seconds, some people call it a hook, but like why someone would watch this reel. And that really tells the story of a particular painting. Um, like, you, you know, Instagram makes this look so easy, but this painting really took me five or six years. And then I tell that story in, you know, about 15 seconds or something. But what I found is that helps me in so many other ways. So when I go to work, I actually have a story about each painting, but what's been really exciting in the newsletter is at the end of the newsletter, I've been putting one of those Instagram reels into my newsletter and finding that a large group of people have been clicking over into my Instagram, even if they don't follow me on Instagram because they follow me in my newsletter. And just the other day, I got an email from someone and she was like, oh, I saw you shipping this reproduction of my favorite painting of yours to Taiwan. I didn't know you were making reproductions of it. I want one too. And so there was the loop, right? There was the loop. I didn't even actually put that reel on my newsletter, I put a different reel, but it brought people back into the Instagram and all the stories I was telling there. That's really smart. And I like how then it's giving them something in the email. It's not just news. It's also some, the reels are kind of content, like they give you, they give the person something that's of benefit to them. So I can see why that's like a real polling. You're getting such a high open rate. And also when you're networking at these events, and I want to go back to the events actually, because it's such a ingenious way, sort of outside of the gallery system to be, you know, showcasing your work and selling your work. But one of the things I know you've talked about before is that surprisingly, we can actually have a lot of success at these things if we do less talking and if we ask the right types of questions, you know, about what they're looking for and give, you know, the collector space to share about what they're seeing in the art. And and it's such a good point because a lot of the time we feel as artists like we have to like tell everyone everything and then we might corner someone and tell them our artist statement for hours. 
but you talk about actually doing less talking and leaving more space for them. Um, what do you want to do? You want to tell us a bit more about that? That is so true, Christy. Thanks for bringing that up. I do ask a lot of questions. I want to know why this person has decided to stop in front of my artwork. What would make them do that? And so I ask them questions. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, what kind of art collection do you have? And it really helps me understand the reasons why this person might purchase artwork. Maybe they buy art when they're on vacation, which is, you know, my situation, but maybe they have a space that they're looking for a piece for, or maybe they just buy what truly catches their eye. And each of these different people, then I ask follow-up questions to. So the person who has a particular space, I'm going to ask questions about that space and the colors in their house, and they're going to whip out their phone and show me different things in their collection. The person who says, I just know what I want and I buy because I just love a painting, I'm going to step back from and mm. let them just enjoy the work. So in order to find out who that person is, you need to ask questions and then follow up questions and then be a good listener and find out the true reason why this person is in front of your artwork. It's so interesting because I read this book by Calvin Goodman about how to sell art, the art marketing handbook it's called. And in it, he talks about the best way to sell art is kind of to pair a person with a piece. And so, you know, what you're doing is getting to know the person so that you can help them, you know, pair with the right piece instead of it just being so open-ended although like you say you're also like noticing the times when really they just need space because they just need to like look at the work and doing these events that you do you get a lot of practice actually because there's a whole psychology <laughs> behind it all and um you know like some of the things that I find are really useful to say after I've you know I find it's useful to like introduce myself let them know that I'm the artist and that I'm here but then I discovered that it's really good to step back at a certain point. Otherwise, they start to back up and leave my booth. So I'll, I'll usually end the conversation with like, oh, well, I'll let you enjoy the show. Let me know if you have any questions. That's, I found a really good line. Do you have any other really good lines? I like the questions that you use. Um, can you think of any other good, yeah, lines or strategies that you've discovered from all your practice at these events? Wow, that's a good question. So. I loved what you said about the guy who was pairing the artwork because I do think it's important to help people get to maybe two, three choices tops, you know, from what they've said to help them. Um, like the other day, someone was like, oh my God, I love this painting, but it's the wrong direction. I'm really looking for something in the other direction. And then when her husband came back, I showed them, you know, three paintings that had a similar feeling to that one. And yeah. I, it's important to give people some choices, but not too many choices, because too many choices is an overload. And that's probably why the book you read suggested pairing the person with a choice. 
um, so that you eliminate some of this confusion that people have when they're overloaded with too many choices. I don't know if I tell people that I'm there for them to ask me questions because I actually, this sounds weird, but I don't believe when you say that to people that they're actually going to ask, ask you questions. I think mm -hmm. it's like, um, oh, how do I put this? I think it's almost like, hmm, this is going to sound weird, but I think. No, I love it. Let's hear it. <laughs> A, a cop out in a way, like they're yeah. not going to probably ask you questions again. Um, and I just really watch their body language. Mm -hmm. They spend a lot more time watching body language than talking. So if I see a couple engaged in a piece, then I might walk up and start talking to them and finding out what they like about that piece. Um, if someone says they're just browsing, then I'll say, please just enjoy. And I think they know that I'm there to answer questions. Um, but you know, I've never found that I'm here for you if you have any questions to work very well. Um, and so I, I have to say, for me, it's more about body language. I really pay attention to the people, I pay attention to everything about them. I pay attention to their kids, I pay attention to what they're wearing, I pay attention to how they're pointing or what they're looking at. I pay attention to the interaction between a couple because a lot of times artwork is bought by a couple and either both people have to be on board or one of them they have to have a relationship with each other where one of them gets to make that choice. And so I spend a lot of time looking at the interaction between the couple. That is really interesting. It's actually so cool what you said about like how it's almost a conversation closer, this saying like, I'm here if you have any questions. I think we have to be really watchful for these conversation closers. Because what I used to do is talk to someone and then be like, Okay, great to talk to you. Bye. Yeah, right. <laughs> Amazing. Right. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, do I have to leave now? So that's why I realized <laughs> instead of saying bye, I would say like, well, I'll let you enjoy the show. When they start to be backing up anyways, and that would welcome them back into the booth. But that's such a good point about how um, sometimes saying like, I'm here if you have any questions is more of a conversation closer. This is the type of thing that we develop strategies around the more we do it. And I just love this um, this thing that you've set up like at the at the hotel where you go regularly once a week. I'm curious to hear a bit more of the details. I think it's such a good um, like thing that you've developed, you know, slightly outside of the gallery system, but totally doable for people. You know, they could approach a fancy gallery and they could present this idea to them and, it, you know, they might be able to set something like this up themselves, or even it could inspire other ideas, you know, for things that they could develop in their own community outside of necessarily the gallery system. So yeah, I'd love to hear just a bit more specifics about how it's set up. I um, love that you said that, Christy, because I really want your viewers to know that everybody could actually do this. Everybody could find a very high-end restaurant or a 
hotel around where they live. If they don't have hotels, maybe they have a high-end restaurant. And the reason why the hotel created this event had really nothing to do with sales per se. They were interested in people in the community having relationships with their guests outside of the normal um, employee guest experience. Mm -hmm. And they felt like this would be something very unique to the hotel. They had no idea that we would sell millions of dollars worth of art a year. They wanted the relationship. So you could potentially pitch any hotel or any restaurant this idea, give them a small percentage, but really let them know that this is a service that they're providing to the art community and also the larger community where they're creating special relationships that go so beyond that first initial meeting and create goodwill for the restaurant and goodwill for the hotel. And especially for a hotel, hotels are always looking for activities that their guests can stay on the premises. And so that helps them in that way too. So you do want to offer them a small percentage, but you need to tell them all the other benefits that the hotel is going to receive from doing a program like this. Absolutely. And keeping that in mind, you know, that it's about building relationships and adding special service. I feel like so many hotels would be thrilled at the idea. And so as people are presenting the idea to the hotels, like in terms of specifics, I think you said at this time, and correct me if I'm wrong, or tell us more about how you've got it set up. It's like the guests come for breakfast, and you guys have your booths set up around around breakfast, and then you're selling the work. Then um, is that right? Tell us a little bit more about yes. those gritty, gritty details. <laughs> well, that's a great gritty detail because I think if you were going to go and pitch a hotel, what you'd first want to do is walk around the hotel and understand where the action is happening at different times of the day and what kind of empty spaces are around that action. Like you don't wanna be next to the breakfast place at dinner time, right? Even though there's an empty space. Totally. So what you really wanna do is also see what spaces seem empty, but they're really about convention services or big events or something like that and and walk through the hotel at different times of day and see where the action is see where empty spaces are and then go pitch the hotel because you want to tell them where you want to be and it's going to make all the difference in the world i can see that you've done this many times before because that is absolutely true and a really good point um and yeah. And, and I know like in the beginning, I think you mentioned about to me that you were doing it like a few days a week. Is that right? And how often are you doing it now? Just in terms of like weekly schedules and things like that? Right now I do it once a week and I've done it so many different ways over the years. But um, before COVID, I actually did three events a week. Yeah. So at 
this one hotel that I work at, it's a Four Seasons. I did a day and a night one. And then I also worked at a very, very high-end Marriott down the block once a week. And so I did two day shifts and one night shift. It was a lot. I actually had an assistant once a week. And sometimes my husband helped me set up and take down. And I was making a very good living. Uh, after COVID, I went back to two day shifts, but I knew that I wanted to start winding down the amount of shifts I did because it's, it is a physical job to bring out the artwork and set up all the um, easels and um, the, you know, all those things. It's, it's physical. And once a week is, is a breeze, but three times a week was, was getting to be um, a, a little bit more than I wanted to do at this point in my life. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think um, it would be like kind of physical work. And and so, and you are usually there for how many hours when you're there? Is it like five hours or something? We're there from eight in the morning till one thirty. So, oh yeah, five and a half hours. Yeah, yep. yeah. And then do you? So you mentioned you have is the table like the tables that are there are those provided by the hotel, and you bring like display easels. What sort of size pieces are you are you showing? Um, the tables are provided by the hotel, so they do use their employees to help us set up in some ways. Um, I had different situations at different hotels. Um, the Four Seasons does have easels in the back oh. for us, which is super nice. But at the Marriott, I brought my own easels. And um, I try to bring fairly large paintings to the hotel I try to have at least 140 by 60 whoa yeah it's about what what'll fit in my van wow. um I think when you're doing these events there are many days that you either don't make any money or like if you're going to go to super fine or something like that you're going to get a large group of people coming through and you're going to definitely make money over a three-day event but at the four seasons or something I some days I might just meet like three or four people and um uh maybe I'll get an email and maybe I'll do good follow-up and that will work so I don't really get too down about having a zero day but I do find that to have larger paintings kind of offsets you know some some days of no sales right? Mm. To have like yeah. a bigger sale. So um, I do, I usually bring five or six paintings over 30 by 40, 30 by 40 or bigger. Yeah, that's nice. That makes a really good display too. Like it's really eye-catching. It must have a big draw pulling people across the room over to look at the work. Yeah, right. I think that it does. I mean, I think with the hotels, you have to figure out who who is there at the hotel. Like at the high-end Marriott, it was a, you know, a high-end group of people, but it wasn't the same people. And I ended up, I had a line of scarves that I, I actually manufactured. I designed and manufactured and I sold a lot of them there they were just slightly under a hundred dollars 
and that was the right price point. So I think you have to be very conscious about who is at these hotels and what type of price point and um and that is just from doing it from the experience of doing it yeah i think i remember you saying that like initially maybe when you were first starting some of these events you and your fellow artists were pricing it lower like which seemed to make a lot of sense and then you know and then you started to like learn about sales and how to best sell your work and and you guys gradually started increasing the prices. I don't know if you'd be willing to share, but what are oh, yeah, I started the price range? Yeah, I started selling $25 prints. Okay. That, yeah, yeah, that's how I started. And um, I think what was really great was to have a group of artists doing this together. So even yeah. though there's like four to six people on a day, um, we would hear about people on other days too. Oh my God, Lori sold this painting for $5,000. Oh my God, Charlie sold this painting for $8,000. Wow. And then people would start to hear these things and be like, oh, if Charlie's selling a painting for $8,000, I could sell a painting for $8,000. And then you start to create paintings of the size that would, you know, would make you be able to sell that. And um, it just grew. And what I so love about this is I know so many artists that make their living without galleries that it's not even unusual. That's and we all helped each other um, learn these things. Like I remember at one point, um, we were all like, wow, Amy's really selling so much more than the rest of us. And I said, Amy, what are you doing? And she goes, I started reading these sales books. And I was like, we don't sell. And she's like, yeah, I'm reading these books by this guy named Brian Tracy. And I'm listening to his like, you know, uh, tapes. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I got one of the tapes. And the first thing it said was like, do you know why salespeople are afraid to ask for the sale? And I was like, I don't know. And they were like, because they're afraid of being rejected. And I was like, salespeople are afraid of being rejected? I thought it was just me. Mm. And, um, you know, all these little things all built up together. But yeah. it was the group supporting each other and yeah. learning from each other that really made us so much better at this, better at the communication, better at the service. And that made us better at the sales. Yeah, that um, really like resonates with me. I know having a sort of supportive community of artists all kind of working towards the same type of thing is like a huge part of everything that I've ever accomplished as an artist. And I love that because there's this idea about artists being competitive with each other, not not always, but sometimes, you know, um, but instead I've, you know, developed a really supportive community of artists and it's amazing what we can build when we're putting our heads together in the same direction. Yeah, I completely agree, Christy. I mean, there's definitely times I'm jealous. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> really? There's times I'm like, oh, I want to be in that show or, oh, they got into this show or, oh, they got that, you know, grant or, oh, they sold these paintings, right? Um, you can't help it. 
you can't help it. But um, it does come back to gratitude in the end and understanding that you're building a community of collectors and you're also building a community of artists. And that it's like during COVID, there were so many grants that were given out by the state here in Hawaii because we didn't have any tourists at the time. Um, and if it wasn't for my fellow artists, I wouldn't have even known about them. Like yeah. we would all have texts like, hey, there's this new grant that's come out. Go check out this link. Even though each of these grants were probably finite and the person giving you that information would actually it would actually could actually have less of a chance of getting the money like yep. that's how strong the community is yeah i i know i have that too but still it's in everyone's benefit to just share and support each other um and it's very it is very generous uh and going back to like some of the things that you guys were kind of strategizing about listening to these sales tapes and developing your communication with the people looking at the work I think you mentioned before, I love this, like never tell the collector that they're wrong. And I know that I've really noticed that like I might have certain intentions for the piece, but I'll let the collector tell me how they're reading the piece. And even if it's different from what my intentions were, it's fascinating. And the piece is being read that way. And so I really like learned, yeah, never to be like, oh, no, 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 that was, this is my intentions for the work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Tell us a bit more about just anything around the communicating with collectors that shows that you've discovered. Well, I want people to have their own interpretation of the work. My work's very like abstracted and slightly fanciful and not about a particular place or a particular time. So I encourage people to tell me the feelings and the stories that they get out of my artwork and even the ones that when I ask them like how does this make you feel or what do you see in this and they're almost a little bit shy about answering that question um it's amazing the things that they do end up telling me after their initial like oh I don't know and then they'll tell me something and it'll just be fascinating to me. So I just stay fascinated by people. And I think that is the best way to go out into the world. I mean, you have done your paintings and you spend a lot of time by yourself. So, or your sculpture, I don't mean to just be paintings, um, or your video or whatever it is you're doing. You spend a lot of time by yourself and you create your own stories in your studio but then you've opted to put them out in the world. And so let the other people have their stories and their experience with your artwork. Yeah. And and so often people are like afraid to be wrong or like they feel like, oh, I don't know enough about art. I, you know, I get that a lot. And so by encouraging them to like read the painting or the sculpture or whatever in their own way it kind of lets them build a connection to the work and lets them realize like you do know something you can tell how you feel about this work and what it's bringing up in you you don't need to have a art history major in order to like read a painting yes 
that's that's exactly it christine yes yeah yeah and another thing i d- discovered doing like art fairs uh, is that we have to like at least act confident as an artist like resist the temptation to be like you like that painting i hate this painting like this <laughs> here's another problem with it like just say thank you and it's almost uncomfortable to say thank you so many times but just say thank you instead of like saying what you like this painting i can't are you sure <laughs> i don't know what about um being confident in the way that we like you know talk to talk about our work have you discovered so confidence is such a strange character you know it's such a strange state of mind certainly you are the most confident right after a sale like in mm-hmm sales world they're always like when's the best time to have a sale right after a sale <laughs> and that's because your confidence is so much greater um you have someone who loved your work enough to buy it and so you it's helped your raise your self-esteem so i think the confidence really has to come in internally when you're not selling when you're feeling like nobody's paying attention. And then it just has to be this inner belief system. And I constantly try to figure out where that comes from, Christy, Mm. where it is that people can hone in on this. And I think the best thing to do for this is to go back in your mind and remember a time that you really felt like you accomplished something and you really felt good about that accomplishment, that pride. And to really close your eyes and remember that it doesn't have to be a sale of a painting. It could be the finishing of something, a work of art that was very difficult for you. Or it could just be a memory of some moment where a family member or someone you know, really encouraged you or told you how great you are. It it could have just been the day you finished a marathon. I don't know. You know, everybody is different. But if you go back to that moment and you really hone in on that feeling, that feeling that you have done something, then you take that feeling out in the world with you. Oh, I love that. That's like so powerful. Yeah, one of the things that I love most about what you do is that I am such a strong believer that we can make a living as an artist and that, and we don't, and I like not necessarily having it tied up completely with the work that I'm creating, like so that the I make a consistent living and I can create whatever work I want. And I, I feel like the way that you're able to like make sales and just make a consistent living as an artist and find different avenues for me for artists like making money like in the course that you teach you help artists strategize different paths for making money as an artist um and it frees up our creative process and and i know some artists i've heard this before and i think you mentioned it before too that initially making a good living as an artist it's almost like art school makes us feel guilty about as if we're selling out, making a living off of our art. <laughs> but I, I strongly believe that we should be making a living off of our art. And we have a valuable gift to offer the world in creating our art. So we need to find a way that we're going to be able to consistently make a good living, whether it's like making commissions or, 
you know, I know some artists that do wedding paintings or there's so many different avenues, but just to find a support, like a base for ourselves so that we we know we'll make an income and then we can create the art. But what experience do you have like with finding various different avenues for making money? And, and do you want to tell us a bit about the course that you offer around this as well? Yeah, especially when you're starting out and maybe you don't have a lot of galleries yet. Um, and also, you know, um, I think that as people do find galleries, you know, they could be in like two or three galleries, but they'll find out that really just one of them is the one that is really helping them and they need to go out and find some more galleries that are as good as that one. So that could take, you know, years and years of building up relationships. And I've always found that I like to have two revenue streams coming in to kind of get off the roller coaster a little bit like maybe one gallery is not giving you a lot of sales this month and you still need to have some income so i don't like to have more than two revenue streams because then it's overwhelming and you're not getting your work done so at various times i've just done various things like i did draw portraits on a street corner and um, I think that an artist that's struggling could figure out some, like you said, commissions or, you know, uh, pet portraits or, you know, which is a commission. I, I mean, I know this one man here who travels the world. He has three different locations that he goes to over his year, um, one in Colorado, one here and one in, uh, um, in on the East Coast, depending on the time of year. And he does plein air painting in very high trafficked locations and so that's how he meets people right and sometimes he does do commissions of their children on the beach or something like that but he sells those paintings that he's doing there but he's just meeting people and um you know that's his event um so there's ways to have that second income for me um for probably about 10 15 years I did do a line of scarves that I could wholesale. So I learned, it took me a long time to learn about really how to price something for the wholesale market and how to go and find um, the production. So that was like a huge event where I went to like um, manufacturing fairs in Las Vegas. And that's where I found the company that printed my scarves and then I had this line of scarves that I could wholesale to um uh wholesale to shops and then also sell like I said at an event once a week and so that didn't bring in as much money as the paintings but it still brought me a second income which I found I just find very helpful so that when you know your painting sales aren't as great, something else is coming in. I mean, at this point in my life, well, I, I just started the class. So that would be, I guess, considered my second income. But at this point in my life, I have enough collectors and I have enough images that I do limited edition reproductions of that things seem to roll for me without um, needing too many venues right? Because I've built that up over the years. Yeah. Oh, I, I really agree with you about having two sources of income, though, so that we're not just putting 
all of our eggs in one basket and and relying entirely on like gallery sales or um, or sales of our paintings. And do you want to tell us a bit about your Artists Make Money course? It's called Artists Make Money, and it's broken up into four modules. One is about different revenue streams. The second one is about all about the operations, like how to streamline your operations time so it doesn't take you too much time to get the business of being an artist done how to keep track of all your reproductions or the galleries you're in and things like that how to you know run your your money how to take care of your your finances and how to talk to banks all those kind of things and then at the end of that module is really about how to price your artwork which i find so important I think a lot of times, especially when artists make reproductions, they don't price them high enough in order to really make the kind of revenue they need to make to make it profitable. And I really learned so much about that when I built the scarf business, because then I really had to understand what wholesale pricing was and what retail pricing was. And in the clothes and accessories markets it's very very like it's not as mm, vague as the art world <laughs> like there's <laughs> there's really like actual like definitive ways of doing it um that are just over the have been tested over the over a period of time so of course you could always charge more than this but you know, as an artist, you really need to have like almost like a nine or 10 times markup of the cost of your prints in order to make the right type of money off of them. And then that informs your originals because your originals should be like at least five times the price of your prints. And so this helps you really create the right markets where you have a lower priced item that's not super inexpensive we're not talking like under a hundred dollars or and the higher price item which is your originals so that you can actually make a living through selling limited editions and selling your originals at the right price for the amount of time that you're really putting into your business and then the third module is really all about sales. It's about what we're talking about here, about creating relationship. And it's about how to ask for the sale gracefully, easily, without like feeling pushy. And then it's about how to get over the rejection. Because even though people say they need to think about it, there's much you can do right in that moment to facilitate the sale or develop the relationship. And then the fourth module is really about how to use social media and how to use your newsletter, because I'm a huge fan of the newsletter. And I really encourage the artists on how to keep it simple and streamline and make it so that you are creating a community through this wonderful opportunity that we have to keep in touch with our collectors. And 
so that's the actual program, but there's so much more than that that I give to people. I made a course that, that's called Artists Make Money. So I feel very, very obligated to my students. And so right away at the beginning, they get um, an onboarding form. So I get to learn about them and then I tailor the course to them. So I tell them, I know you don't have all the time in the world to watch all these videos at once. There's 45 or 50 videos. So these are the top 10. These are what you personally need. And then they meet with me and we discuss their one extra project that they do during our time together. And this extra project is a money, something that's going to make them money and that we're going to do together. So they're going to realize where their pitfalls or roadblocks are right at the beginning. And we're going to start solving for that. And I'm going to keep in touch with them during this whole time. And then we have Zoom meetings as a group. Um, and the course is four months. But if you have not figured out how to make money off of your project by then, then I extend you for a couple of more months. So I'm like all in on keeping track of my students and making sure that they are making money, right? That's yeah. what the course is about. And um, there's no dates, but I only take seven new students a month because I can't, I can't do this for all too many people at a time. I really, and even at that, there might be months that I just completely don't take students because mm. I just have to really put my emphasis on who wants to work and on my own livelihood as a painter. Wow. Well, I love that personal, like tailored sort of approach to each person's needs that you've created. And where can people find uh, more about the course? So my website is artistsmakemoney.co. So .co, and then right away, there's a free masterclass on how to sell your artwork without being pushy. And it really teaches you how to introduce yourself, how to feel comfortable in front of people, and how to ask for the sale. Very, very smoothly and easily. Yes. Oh, well, definitely include a link to that in the notes for right. anyone who's interested. It's such a powerful course, and I would really recommend it to people. And it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Thank you, Christine, for having me. It's been a delight. I love watching all that you do. And I love listening to this podcast. So I'm very, very honored and excited to be on it. Oh, I feel exactly the same about you. And I look forward to keeping in touch and talking to you more soon. Bye, Stephanie. Aloha, Christine. Aloha, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Down to Art. Thank you so much for being with us.